This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that writes a love letter to history every day of the week. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're revisiting the biggest film of Valentine's Day 1991, the beloved romantic comedy The Silence of the Lambs. Wait, what? The day was February 14th, 1991. Psychological horror classic The Silence of the Lambs made its theatrical debut. It was billed in advertising as, quote, the perfect Valentine's Day date movie, scary enough to put your sweetie into cuddling. Movie-going couples seem to have agreed, as The Silence of the Lambs, which opened on a Thursday, went on to earn $11.6 million by the end of the weekend. The film had staying power, too. It ran for eight months in theaters and netted more than $130 million in the U.S. and Canada and $275 million worldwide. That made it the fourth-highest-grossing film of 1991, both domestically and globally. And since the movie was made on a budget of just $19 million, that was a huge win for the studio, for the cast and crew, and for the horror genre as a whole. The film was adapted by screenwriter Ted Talley from the 1988 Thomas Harris novel of the same name. It follows a young FBI trainee named Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster, as she investigates the case of a serial killer known as Buffalo Bill, portrayed by Ted Levine. To help track down Bill, Clarice consults with another serial killer, this one an imprisoned psychiatrist-slash-cannibal, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a.k.a. Anthony Hopkins, in one of his defining roles. The Silence of the Lambs wasn't the first novel or film to feature the character of Hannibal Lecter, it was actually the second in both cases. Thomas Harris introduced the character in a 1981 book titled Red Dragon, which was adapted into the movie Manhunter in 1986, although the role of Hannibal in that film was played by Brian Cox, not Anthony Hopkins. In total, Harris wrote four novels that included the famous cannibal psychiatrist, and all four of them have been adapted for film or TV at least once sometimes with Hopkins even reprising the role. But most people agree that the 1991 film is the high point of the series. Hopkins' intense portrayal of a calm, cultured killer and Foster's quiet, astute performance as an FBI agent in training are both hard to top. These and other elements of the movie struck a chord with the public, and audiences and filmmakers alike are still influenced by them today. That makes it especially fun to look back at just how different the movie almost was. For example, did you know Gene Hackman was initially set to direct and star as Hannibal? He even split the cost of the movie rights to the book with the film's distributor, Orion Pictures. In the end, though, Hackman got cold feet about playing such a dark role, and he dropped out of the project altogether. When Jonathan Demme signed on as director, his first choice to play Hannibal was Sean Connery, 
However, the Scottish actor took a pass after reading the script, which he succinctly described as, quote, revolting. Daniel Day-Lewis and Derek Jacobi were also considered, but at the end of the day, it had to be Hopkins. He also had a memorable reaction to the script, which he described in a 2021 interview for Variety. Hopkins revealed, quote, When I was in London in 1989, I was doing a play called M. Butterfly. My agent sent a script and said, I want you to read this script. It's called Silence of the Lambs. I said, was it a children's story? He said, no. Once Hopkins understood that it was not in fact a movie about shy baby lambs, he decided to stretch himself as an actor and take on the role anyway, dark as it may be. He famously based his character's voice and mannerisms on a combination of three other stars of the silver screen. The actress, Catherine Hepburn, the screenwriter and actor, Truman Capote, and HAL 9000, the creepy, deadpan computer from Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Hopkins also contributed to his character's wardrobe, suggesting that Hannibal should wear white, to play into the public's discomfort around doctors and dentists, who often wear white on the job. As for the film's other lead, Jodie Foster, she wanted to be involved with the film from the very outset. In fact, she tried to buy the film rights to the novel herself, but Gene Hackman got there first. She later settled for the role of Agent Starling, but just like with Hopkins, Foster wasn't the director's first choice for Clarice. Instead, Demi wanted to cast Michelle Pfeiffer, whom he had worked with on the 1988 comedy Married to the Mob. However, just like many other actors who had been tapped for this film, Pfeiffer decided to pass due to concerns about the darkness of the subject matter. Despite all the behind-the-scenes uncertainty, The Silence of the Lambs wound up with exactly the right cast and director needed to tell its story effectively. Or, at least, Academy voters seemed to think so. In 1992, the film cleaned up at the Oscars, winning all five major awards – Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor, and Best Actress. It was only the third film in history to win in all five of those categories. The first movie to do so was screwball romantic comedy It Happened One Night in 1935, and the second was the mental war drama One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1976. Strangely enough, when looked at a certain way, The Silence of the Lambs actually combines aspects of both of those movies, albeit with significantly more cannibalism. Of course, none of that success means The Silence of the Lambs is above criticism, in the past or today. Movie critic Gene Siskel infamously referred to the movie as a, quote, star-studded freak show and a case of much ado about nothing. Most other critics of the time, including his partner Roger Ebert, disagreed. But in the years since, many people have also taken issue with Ted Levine's performance as the cross-dressing serial killer Jane Gum, aka Buffalo Bill. It's viewed as a negative stereotype of people in the LGBTQ community. Thomas Harris based the character of Buffalo Bill on three real-life serial killers, Ted Bundy, Gary Heidnick, and Ed Gein. In both the novel and the film, it's mentioned that Bill isn't actually a transgender person. As Hannibal explains, 
Billy hates his own identity, you see, and he thinks that makes him a transsexual. But his pathology is a thousand times more savage and more terrifying. The filmmakers don't seem to have intended to disparage anyone, but the Buffalo Bill character proved harmful just the same. With so few portrayals of transgender people in film, especially in the early 1990s, having one of the few be a brutal murderer was a bad call. It definitely hurt public perception of real-life individuals, and is an unfortunate blunder in an otherwise exceptional film. But how exactly did a controversial horror movie wind up releasing on one of the most romantic dates on the calendar? Well, it actually wasn't the first time that happened. 1931's Dracula was also released as a Valentine's date movie. Still, it doesn't seem like that would be your first choice for a horror movie release date, and in the case of The Silence of the Lambs, it wasn't. The movie was actually ready for release in 1990, but Orion Pictures held it until mid-February the next year, so that another one of its films, Dances with Wolves, would have less competition for the 1991 awards season. That move worked well, and both films wound up winning numerous awards. When Demi heard the release strategy for Silence of the Lambs, he didn't object, because he genuinely thought it would make a great date movie. It's a love story, he told reporters in the lead-up to the film's release. And given his previous work, it makes sense the director would see it like that. He had made a name for himself with films about mismatched lovers, like those in Something Wild and Married to the Mob. The Silence of the Lambs was certainly a change of pace for Demi, but it also shared the themes of strange attraction and fierce intimacy that cropped up in his earlier work. If you've never seen The Silence of the Lambs, or if it's been a while, it might be difficult to think of Hannibal and Clarice in that kind of light. But most of their encounters can actually be read as subversions of classic rom-com tropes. For example, consider the first time Clarice goes to visit Hannibal in his cell. She's expecting to face a vicious monster, and to get to him, she has to walk through a gauntlet of other inmates, all of whom ogle her and rush the bars to try and touch her. When she finally reaches the cell of Hannibal Lecter, she finds something altogether different and unexpected. A calm, docile, well-kempt man standing quietly in the middle of his room. As the other inmates' catcalls echo in the distance, the gentleman in front of Clarice respectfully bids her good morning. If that's not a classic meet-cute, I don't know what is. Hopkins appears on screen for just 16 minutes of the film's nearly two-hour runtime, but because of the obvious chemistry between his and Foster's characters, their tense encounters are the backbone of the movie. It helps that most of the other men in Clarice's life, except for Barney, the orderly, are somehow more unpleasant and predatory than Dr. Lecter, who you'll recall is a cannibal. Her boss, Jack Crawford, uses her as bait to get Hannibal to help with the investigation. The head of the mental asylum, Dr. Chilton, sexually propositions Clarice during a meeting. And of course, the killer that she's hunting down is a man who preys exclusively on vulnerable women. It's no exaggeration to say that the man in the movie who treats Clarice with the most respect and civility, the one who most understands and appreciates her complexities, is Hannibal Lecter. Poor Clarice. 
The Silence of the Lambs plays with romantic conventions, but any seduction done by one party or the other is strictly intellectual. Demi was wise enough to not push the idea too far, knowing that Clarice and Hannibal work as a kind of movie couple because their twisted courtship is only ever in theory. A real relationship is never presented as even a possibility, and it's clear the characters will never end up together. Or at least not in the movies. The books, on the other hand, well, that's a disturbing story for another day. Happy Valentine's, everybody! I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully you now know a little more about movie history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I'd love to know your plans for Valentine's Day dinner, including whether fava beans and a nice Chianti are on the menu. Yeah, go ahead and roll your eyes. I can't see you. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.